it's about that time. Stuart, do you want to open for us? Okay, thank you. Father, we just come before you this evening, well, this morning, and uh, in the matchless name of Jesus, Father, and we just thank you that you've um, brought all of the people here in this study uh, through a really traumatic week, Father, and uh, it's times like these that we realize how much we need you, your care, your love, and your uh, sovereign rule over us, Father. And I really pray for all of the people uh, in Texas and, and in the States who have really suffered this week. I ask you to show them mercy and uh, loving kindness. And, uh, Father, that even things like broken water pipes, that they would be fixed uh, real quick for the benefit of everyone, Father. And we just ask you now, we thank you for Ray, his dedication, his um, faithfulness in, in conducting these uh, studies, Father. And, and I do actually thank you, Father, for the technology that allows us to all join together as if we are in, already in the same room. And so I thank you, Father. I just uh, bring uh, all the issues before your throne, Father, and I just uh, praise you. And may everything we think, do, and say during the study bring bring uh, glory to your name in jesus name amen. amen amen back to romans this morning we will uh be looking at a passage that is not difficult to understand but as i mentioned in the email it's impossible for us to be able to live out apart from the power of the holy spirit and that's the uh, passage at the end of chapter 12 of the book of Romans, 17 through 21. In fact, even some of the things mentioned before that, apart from uh, enablement from the Lord himself, we are unable to live out. So we're going to talk about revenge, paying back evil and not paying it back with more evil. In fact, the theme throughout is the whole idea of love, agape love. So we'll expand upon what we've been talking about and uh, show that love overcomes revenge. Chapter 12, 17 through 21. And obviously addressed to the believers in Rome who had a far more difficult time than uh, we do today. And uh, some of them even died for their faith and obviously needed the same enablement that is available to you and I today. So we're talking about Romans, first 11 chapters. We've talked about the provision of God's righteousness, the vindication of God's righteousness. Now, what does that righteousness look like in everyday experience, different situations, we focused on what it looks like in relationship to God or the heart of it, the essence of it. In fact, the first two verses somewhat summarize all that Paul described under sanctification. And it's essentially putting ourselves on an altar, making ourselves available to whatever God would have. And through his enablement, we live out the Christian life. So we spent some time looking at that, and I've emphasized throughout that this is very, very important. And last time I gave you a little introduction on other ways that the Bible describes the same concept of being put on an altar as a living sacrifice. It's living in Christ. 
It's the same as being a living sacrifice and what it means to be in Christ, not conforming to the world, keeping short accounts with the Lord. That's part of the Romans 12 passage. In other words, we resist living like the rest of the world. Once we start living like the rest of the world, we're basically useless. We're cut off from the power that transforms, the transforming power, the power that uh, is available to enable us to walk in the Spirit. So it's absolutely essential to be connected and in fellowship. And uh, that's part of what Paul is emphasizing in the first part of chapter 12. And that's really the only way living in the, the spirit, walking in Christ, being a living sacrifice, that's the only way to obey the rest of the book. And it will manifest itself in different ways, beginning in verse 3 through the middle of chapter 15. And then we have the long conclusion. So the only way to obey and to do anything in the Christian walk the entire Christian walk is impossible. There's no way that uh, we can do anything of lasting value, of anything that is pleasing to the Lord, if we're not in fellowship, if we're not walking in the Spirit. So everything that we've looked at already, I hope we've stressed that. Everything relating to the church, that's the rest of chapter 12, three through verse 3 through 21, We'll look at next week, beginning hopefully next week, how, how it looks, how it works out in society, in our relationship, first with the government and then with uh, citizens. That's how I've broken down that chapter. And he deals with Christian liberty in chapter 14 and 15 through the middle of 15 and what it looks like in terms of relationships however they may be, people in different places. So we're looking at the application to the church, 3 through 21. We saw exercising spiritual gifts, 3 through 8. And now the last part of chapter 12, 9 through 21, the exercise of love. And somewhat, because the grammar somewhat changes, and it seems the emphasis slightly changes, I've kind of broken this down. Um, I'm not dogmatic about this breakdown, but it seems like the emphasis is within the church, chapter 12, 9 through 13. And the reason for that, it seems like he broadens it beginning in chapter 12, verse 14 through 21, to our relationships outside of the church. Now, I think this would also apply. I, I think we have problems sometimes within the church as well and conflicts with fellow believers. So I don't have a strict outside the church category here, but for the sake of outlining it, this is one way that we can look at this passage. So 14 to 16 in suffering in general, and more often than not, we will suffer as a result of those outside of the body of Christ, as opposed to those within. Generally, we enjoy fellowship and delight in our relationships with other like-minded believers, particularly but uh, sometimes we can suffer at the hands of fellow believers as well. That's 14 through 16. And then uh, 17 through 21, the kind of the other end of the spectrum where uh, overt persecution, how do we respond to it? And the way we can you can uh, utilize this today in, in 
applying it. I tried to bring it out a little bit last time. We can apply it in terms of uh, the changes that we're seeing, not only in our country, but changes in the world as well. So that's 17 through 21, focusing on how do you deal with revenge or how do you deal with antagonism and our response, our natural response is one of revenge. So we looked at verse 14, actions of blessings, blessing in the midst of this difficult situation. Uh, The verse essentially Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. And if you remember, I said we have the first verbs, finite verbs, beginning uh, in verse 9 all the way through now, verse 14. There's no verb until you get to verse 14 where we have three in a row. So it kind of, at least the grammar changes somewhat uh, significantly. So actions of blessing, feelings of emotion, identifying with those both in the highs and the lows. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And we left off in verse 16, and I don't want to expand it too much, just to kind of remind you of a couple of things here, and then we'll get into verse 17, which will be the focus of our time this morning. Be of the same mind toward one another. Now, the word, actually the whole phrase, be of the same mind, a participle, participial phrase. At the heart of that is that verb that we looked at in verse 3, where it talks about thinking and the way we view ourselves, our mental picture of who we are. He's using the same word in a participial phrase in relationship to one another, toward one another. And what he's not saying here, he's not saying that uh, we should all think the same things and necessarily be the same. He's already talked about the diversity of the body of Christ and how each is unique. And we're not to necessarily think the same identical things and same thoughts. But what he's getting at here is in terms of our attitude towards one another, we accept the differences, we accept the diversity, and we are on the same page, you might say, another way of putting it. We identify with one another, we understand one another, uh, recognizing those differences, but not allowing those differences to divide us, but of being of the same unity. And I, I think that's the whole thrust here, being of the same mind towards one another, united because we are one and we are united in Christ. And in order to do that, we need to continually look at ourselves because we are by nature self-centered and our tendency is to think more highly of ourselves. Do not be haughty in mind is Paul's description here. And what he has here is elevating. This goes back to verse 3 again, having a proper view of who we are in Christ, high-minded, viewing ourselves with a bigger picture than what is reality and what humility would bring, but uh, getting outside of ourselves and associate with the lowly. In other words, those that are the most needy, the most perhaps despised even in the culture and within the body of Christ. 
they're the ones sometimes that have the most needs. We need to get outside of ourselves and associate with them. And uh, again, this doesn't uh, come naturally. What comes naturally is to think more highly of ourselves with a hati attitude of mind and uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit makes us sensitive and recognize the needs of others. So that's the encouragement here. And uh, do not be wise. Let's look at a couple of par parallel passages that go along with verse 16. And you can uh, jump ahead. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 15. Would somebody care to jump ahead there? And then somebody somewhat look at uh, Philippians 2, 2 through 4, kind of giving us the same thought. In fact, there's lots of passages that encourage the whole concept of humility, but here's two more in the same context. Anyone got 15.5? I've got it. Go ahead, Sharon. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Okay, the same idea of like-mindedness. So it's emphasized again. I see Steve's mic is open. Uh, do you have Philippians 2, Steve? Yes. Uh, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Not merely look out for your own purposes, but also, but also for the interest of others. Okay, thanks. Philippians 2 expands in some detail what we have in uh, the twelve sixteen of Romans passage. But same elements, unity. In fact, it brings out the unity idea more, the humility idea. And if you read on into Philippians 2, we have that uh, very unique passage describing Christ as our example, where Christ being God himself condescends and uh, sets aside the prerogatives of deity and became a servant. So he's the example of not only unity and humility, but uh, gives us a striking example of what we are to do and to be like-minded. We are to be like-minded of Christ. This is the, the viewpoint of Christ in uh, in who he is. So Philippians 2, 2 through 4, very good parallel passage expanding what we have. And then not so detached, but almost a separate, well, it is a separate sentence. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Uh, kind of stands alone, somewhat summarizing everything that we've looked at uh, so far before we transition to, to verse 17. So this is wisdom. This is love. Love is wisdom. Uh, walking in the spirit is wisdom. Associating with the lowly. This is this is what God views as wise. So rather than a self-centered view and a, a thought that I'm self-contained, wisdom takes into account all the things that Paul has been bringing out in uh, Romans chapter 12. And it looks like humility is a big part of that. A huge part of that, yes. 
So we could summarize that as arrogance or not being arrogant in 12.16. And Connie, since you're there, do you want to remind us of 1 Corinthians 13.4, kind of springing on you at the last second there? Okay, I'm, I'm where? 1 Corinthians 13? 13.4. <laughs> 13, okay, 13.4 says, Love suffers long. And is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Okay, or arrogant is New American Standard, uh, not puffed up. So that's the whole idea of verse 16 as well. And that kind of brings us to verse 17, kind of brings us from where we left off last time. So against revenge, Jim McGillivray. Sir, um... You know, it seems like uh, every week as we go through these passages, the things that I'm reading through according to your schedule through the scripture, Mm -hmm. there are connections that are interesting. uh, But it reminds me uh, of what it says in Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And elsewhere it says the beginning of wisdom, Mm -hmm. the hakmah. And uh, I'm seeing that. Uh, all through uh, the uh, through the Pentateuch, uh, mm. the the place of fear of of the Lord in carrying out as a motivation to 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 live according to the, the to the commands that He gives us. Yeah, and that's wisdom. Yeah, very yeah. good. Aren't I so clever in how I put that thing together? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you laughed because that was attempt at humor. Sometimes with our Zoom, it's hard to get the humor in. And no, that was the design of the Holy Spirit, not me. Well, concerning revenge, we have verse 17, the elimination of it. And it's not so easy if you are in a difficult situation and confronted by an enemy. And in the middle of that, Paul says, never pay back evil for evil. Uh, to anyone, and you might notice the anyone runs through this passage. We have it again. We saw it in verse 16. We saw it before. But uh, how do you do that? In other words, uh, somebody says a bad thing about you. Somebody does something uh, in the middle of traffic. Somebody cuts you off. These things are things that sometimes come upon us in a surprising way, inconvenient time, And it's difficult to think through all the way that you need to respond. In fact, in the middle of it, oftentimes uh, you don't have time to think through a lot. You have to almost instinctively respond. That's why the, the old nature will not be able to respond properly in the midst of whatever difficult situation you might find yourself in. So what I've done, you've not noticed on your outline sheet, I've given you 10 ways that we can respond here. Two of them, we have to prepare ahead of time before we encounter particularly persecution, particularly facing a situation that catches us off guard, a remark that somebody makes, uh, a way that somebody responds or maybe just overt evil that you even see coming, uh, how do we respond to that? Well, you know, go ahead, Katie. 
yeah, I watched The Hiding Place last night about Corey Ten Boom, and this just really resonates with how she responded to her <clears throat> captors and uh, how she uh, she did struggle with, um, you know, feeling hate at certain points for the soldiers, um, especially when they, you know, would, would strike her sister. And um, But just seeing her um, work through that and end up loving the ones that were persecuting her, it was just really, really powerful. And I, I've actually never read through her entire book, but I thought, you know what, I can sit down for a couple hours and, and watch this. I've never seen it. And so this, mm-hmm. if, if anyone hasn't seen it, this is, this kind of resonates, this uh, lesson resonates with her story. Yeah, she lived out what we're talking about here. And it doesn't, it doesn't come natural. That's why in the uh, note that I sent, I kind of tried to introduce and prepare you that these, these things, in fact, the whole Christian life, but here is kind of a vivid and a very explicit example of how we can't do this. In the flesh, we do not respond in this way. That's why it's essential. In fact, I've got a I'm going to go through the list here of things that we need to do, some of them ahead of time, but just kind of on uh, the humorous side, I guess you could say, I went to the internet just to see what, you know, you can always find these little sayings that uh, come up relating to whatever topic you're dealing with. Some of these are not very good advice, uh, especially this one, never go to bed angry, stay awake, plan your revenge. (laughs) (laughs) that's the very opposite of uh, what this passage tells us. Here's another one, a little bit more humorous, but not very good advice. Taking revenge is wrong, very, very wrong, but very, very fun. (laughs) You can identify with that one, I'm sure. Probably the best advice, sometimes the best revenge, is to smile and move on. Now, even it, even that advice, though it's good, falls short of the biblical response. Because we're going to see in this passage, we we don't just smile and move on. We actually uh, do things to not only diffuse a situation, but uh, as we'll see in verse 18, try to make peace and uh, sometimes that peace is not even possible, but at least there's an attempt that's made. So let's look up a couple of more passages here. Ray? Jim, yeah. A question. Are you going to tie this uh, back to uh, verses 9 and 10? Um, we can, yeah, because, yeah, 9 and 10 kind of introduce us to this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Yes. Yeah, the, all of these, I think, do tie together, okay. uh, along with verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and curse. He he kind of intersperses through here these difficult situations and then spaces them out a little bit, and now he gets back in verse 17. Since you're there, do you, do you want to look up Matthew 5, 38 real quick? And somebody look up 1 Peter 3, 9, and I'll have you read those before I introduce... How do we respond in these situations? You got it, Jim? You may want to have Jim read 39 as well. Yes, 38 and 39. Yep, good. 
Where is Jim? He flew away. Who's got first Peter? Somebody got it? Somebody else got it? Denise has uh, first Peter. Okay, Denise. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Very good. Kind of the same sentiment. The reason I picked First Peter, we could have looked at First Thessalonians 5.15 because it parallels as well. In fact, if you want to jot it down, First Thessalonians 5.15, we won't read it. But I thought I'd get another passage outside of Paul since we have Romans here that Paul wrote. So First Peter 3.9 parallel what we have here in uh, Romans. Jim, you got uh, Matthew 5, 38 and 9. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay, that's Jesus. And notice Jesus takes an Old Testament passage, kind of summarizes it doesn't quote it entirely. But does this passage contradict what it says in the Old Testament? Because that is the Old Testament requirement. That is what God specifies, an eye for an eye. Can somebody tell me what what is the difference between what we have in Leviticus? Obviously, there's not a contradiction between the two. And I don't think what we have here in the New Testament does away with uh, what we have in Leviticus. Who can I think it has to do with um, your mental attitude and resultant policy as a Christian versus the policy of a governmental entity that's not to be run on Christian uh, spiritual practices. Well, except for the last phrase there, I think I think you're right on. I don't think there's a conflict, and, and that is the distinction. In other words, governments must effect justice, and justice must be fair and proportional in terms of the crime. But that's the function of government, and that's the function of the authorities, not the individual, and what Jesus is contrasting here is those two. In other words, you don't take on the role of government in effecting justice. In fact, we'll see in the next few verses here that we leave that to God and the way that God has set things up. So that's the distinction. There's not a contradiction, but a difference in terms of how justice is meted out and how we, we are to respond. So we are to respond as Jesus instructs, as Peter instructs, and as Paul instructs, in fact, the whole New Testament, you might say. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we respond this way? Jim? I have a question uh, just on the order of things here. What, like, was Matthew 5, 38 and 39 that I read, is that supposed to be the first point under how to do the impossible on your outline? No. No, I'm getting to that now. No, I, I'm just so, giving you parallel passages that teach essentially the same concept of never paying back evil for evil to anyone. You see that in Peter. You see it in Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the one that introduces it, and then Paul picks it up in Romans chapter 12. 
Okay, so the parallel verses, the way they're numbered, have nothing to do with the numbers that you have. No, not on the outline. Here's here's the doing the impossible. Hey, may I say something? This is Linda. Linda. Hi. Hi. This is the perfect. I think this is a perfect lesson for what went on between me and the class a few weeks ago. Uh oh. And, uh, don't you? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think it is, and I, it's been very challenging for me, and I, I hope it has been for other people. Mm -hmm. um, so, this is very wonderful. Thank you. Great. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Ray, wouldn't you also say this is the difference between that uh, righteousness by that we might be able to accomplish on our own with the Old Testament passage, um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, as opposed to the impossible that God is asking here in this passage. Yes. Yeah. The only, only yeah. that can be arrived at by <clears throat> being in Christ. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're dealing with two, also, like what I tried to bring out, two different realms, two different ways of responding. Both of them are right. In other words, government should effect. In fact, that's what God has ordained government to do. We'll see that in chapter 13, is to effect fair and just justice, but it's not up to us as individual believers to do that. Well, let me get into the points on the outline or the outline within an outline that kind of expand. Nate. Can I ask you a question? Yes. So, um, so you're dividing kind of the government from the, the personal response. What kind of advice would you give to someone in a situation where like maybe the person has done a wrong and they're going to be punished by the government, and yet at the, the person has the opportunity to maybe testify or to, to kind of give a statement to the court. Um, and if that person should appeal for the person affected that's giving the statement should appeal to, for leniency on the person who has done the wrong, or if, if they uh, should that, that appeal for... Uh, the full extent of the law, or how would that come into play when there's a little more overlap? Yeah, I, I would I would think that every circumstance will call for, you know, you'd have to, within yourself, in fellowship with the Lord, determine what is the best course. I could envision where the full extent of the law should be affected, and in cases like that, I think you do your duty as a citizen and testify, that's your part. But I think uh, a good application might be what you suggest is to appeal for leniency and forgiveness even. But yeah, I don't know that there's an answer. Go ahead, Norman. Maybe do something like his family. That's a good suggestion. Uh, reach out to the family. That's a good application there, yeah. Hey, yeah, Ray. I think every situation will be different. Jeff. Hey, Ray. Yeah. yeah. The Old Testament Lex Talionis, uh, eye for an eye, was about just punishment. Yes. I, th I think the New Testament version of that is going to be in Romans 13. Yep. Where we'll get to uh, government bears the sword for just punishment for crimes. Yes. Uh, and, and I think if, you know, and responding to where Nate was inquiring the overlap 
your comment about being a good citizen. If we are a victim or a witness, it is our duty to testify to the truth. Yep. Uh, and let the legal system under the law do what it is designed to do. Yes. Yep. Uh, now, if we are, again, the victim, there is, and we've seen many, many cases of these over the years where victims really do appeal uh, and forgive in the courtroom. They're at attackers. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. But, some- uh, I just wanted to throw in that bit about Romans 13 is the New Testament version um, because the government has a duty uh, to protect society. Right. Right. Yeah, good. Good comments. God backs the blue police movement. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, well, doing what Paul encourages us here, or never paying back evil for evil to anyone, I think is not possible apart from uh, being in fellowship. So what this requires in order, this is number one, Jim, on the outline here. We need to be prepared ahead of time And part of that preparation is consistently walking in the spirit so that we're not caught off guard, such that when we find ourselves in this impossible situation, we have the foundation and the resources to think through. And I think another thing that we do when we do face such a situation, we call upon that that, uh, history, you might say, or that pattern of consistent walk, and then we can be uh, responding rightly in in the midst of that situation. And I think the next thing is if you're consistently walking, now you have a resource to draw on. That's why you spend time studying the Word and learning the principles. That's why we're in Romans 12, because we're not in the situation now. But when we're faced with it, now when uh, the situation occurs, we draw on that consistency, and there's probably a need for an emergency on-the-spot prayer, and just asking for wisdom, asking for guidance, asking for how God would have you respond. And if you have that consistent walk, this is kind of the natural thing that follows every circumstance. You're just praying on all occasions and uh, lifting these things up. So this is the resource that we have. And the passage goes on, not just the negative, but we have the positive, respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now, you might think, how is that related? And I think what he's doing here, again, Paul, is getting us outside of ourselves, because if somebody's striking you, for example, let's just use a physical example. If they're about to strike you or have struck struck you, your flesh is going to want to strike back. And we need to get outside of the old nature and think in terms of, well, what does this other person need? And respect what is right in the sight of all men. I think the relationship there is he's calling us basically to think in terms of the needs of that enemy. In other words, what do they need? Why are they striking out? Why why are they doing what they are doing? They have, they have deep-seated needs. There's something within them that... God has put me in this circumstance to perhaps help them in some way. So in that emergency prayer, one of the things I think to be asked there is, Lord, what what can I do to meet that deep-seated need, and how can I turn this whole thing around? In fact, the next passage is going to bring that out. Joe, you got your mic open? 
Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment on that point that you just made. And uh, that is that hurting people hurt people. So if they're striking out, it's because of their hurt. Yep, there's something in them. There's something right. in them. So, and there's a book out on being a change agent for uh, in that situation when you're uh, dealing with a hurting person that's hurting you. Right. And, and this is, I think, how we respond. And this doesn't come naturally. This come, you have to prepare. You have to think through ahead of time so that when the situation comes, uh, now you're able to respond in the way that Paul has. So verse 17, elimination of revenge. 18 is establishing peace, more of the positive. Jim, go ahead. Well, uh, yeah, I do want to ask you a question about uh, number three, uh, responding uh, to the needs of the enemy. Does it necessitate that you call this uh, opponent the enemy? I mean, it may not be the enemy. It may just be an opponent in the context of, of a situation it might be actually a loved one. Yeah. I, I use that just to kind of summarize the, the person that is being the antagonist. No, you're right. I'm just taking it kind of to the other extreme, if you will, in terms of the, uh, it might even be easier to respond to a loved one than it is to someone that is overtly an enemy. In other words, somebody that is an unbeliever that hates Christianity and hates you for it. Uh, that's why I chose that is just to bring out uh, perhaps the extreme case that we may face and should be prepared for. I'll tell you why that came to my mind is that, is that uh, there are two people uh, not in that are, I'm going to say that uh, uh, I love them both. Mm-hmm. I know and uh, they are in, you know, they're in a very serious, uh, I'm going to say battle, verbally, uh, with each other, mm-hmm. uh, where the, the two of them, need, you know, really, they need to find a way to heal. Yeah. And uh, so that I wouldn't call them enemies, uh, but there's certainly serious opposition between the two. No, I, I, I think there's a broad oh. spectrum here of ways that uh, this passage applies i've kind of used the kind of the more overtly extreme wording there that would include all the other as well how about looking at them at them as enemies of peace yeah you could say that and they're probably in at least out of fellowship sharon hi may i say something this is linda oh go ahead linda i think what is the uh Christian person is the antagonist. Or uh, now I realized a couple weeks ago, and now uh, what's so important about being right? I had to ask myself. Uh-huh. I've since lost interest in my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> so now when I'm reading the newspaper, instead of saying, "Oh my gosh, how could they?" You know, it's it's all well. Anyway, I, I I'm trying to pray for them. And not think of that at all. Yeah, and that's... and I think in a fight like like we had, perhaps um, it's asking what's so important about being right. Yeah, uh, is it worth a friendship of love or whatever? Exactly. Very good, Thanks. Sharon. Um, I as I was typing away here, um, 
if you on the uh, slide, you could put enemy there in quotation marks. And that, that would mean, well, somebody that's like an enemy or somebody that's opposing you. Okay, that's good. That's a good suggestion. 18, we go further. We uh, not only take a look at what that person may need, but in verse 18, if possible. And uh, notice that Paul acknowledges, Paul was realistic. Paul was very practical. So he phrases it in terms of a potential here, if possible, recognizing that some situations can get so bad, I guess you could say, and uh, there are people that are, in fact, enemies, and we should be prepared to face people that hate Christianity, that hate us. And they may even hate us, even not even because we are believers, but for whatever reason. And there are some situations that cannot be resolved. And I think that's the if possible thing here. But so far as it depends on you or us, what, whatever we can do to either diffuse a situation, the best thing would be to be at peace with uh, all men. In other words, even go to that distance in terms of resolving a situation. So I think uh, one thing that we can do in the, in the midst of this is to see if there's anything in me that's number four on my list here. Is there any personal part that I have played in, uh, in causing this rift, if it's just a small thing, or causing this uh, deep antagonism? And if, it, if there is, then part of dealing with it is either asking forgiveness or acknowledging uh, whatever part that we may have there. So the, the personal part that we may have, I think that's part of it. But it even goes even further than that, be at peace with all men. And I think what this gets at is that we work at it, we seek it, we don't let it, let it fly, we don't let it, you know, we don't just like that one internet advice, just smile and let it go. We actually try to establish peace. And I think that's what Linda was relaying as well. Uh, Joe, you got your mic open there. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to make a comment that about how sometimes it's impossible to uh, make peace, and that's because uh, we are enemies of the world. Yep. And and the people of the world have their own agenda, and yep. we stand in the way of that. Yep. And so, in that situation, we, you know, we will not be able to make peace yep. because. That's the battleground. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that we can, we attempt resolution. That's number five on your your sheet there. So to the extent that we can uh, do something. Now, he's going to add to this. He's going to give us some other things as well. In fact, 19 through 20, he's going to give us exhortations on justice. 17, the elimination of revenge and part of that is establishing peace, or at least attempting it, verse 18, and now 19 and 20, exhortation on justice. And then again, very clearly, never take your own revenge. And he adds the very intimate and personal beloved, almost 
wrapping his arms around us and saying, you know, I understand. I know, you know, I know you, this is impossible. This is hard. Uh, never take your own revenge. And then he has this very interesting uh, reason for it. In fact, the biblical reason is uh, because of the next part of it. But we won't look this one up, but you might jot down a parallel passage, 2 Timothy 3.12. That one basically tells us that we can inevitably expect, if we are believers, we can expect to suffer for our faith. I'll let you look that one up as well. I've kind of summarized the essence of it. But verse 19, never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. Leave room for the wrath. Actually, New American Standard inserts and does a little interpreting because of the probably the next phrase there. Leave room for the wrath. Now, I'm not going to give you all the debate that some of the commentators go into there, but I think New American Standard captures what uh, the intent of Paul here, leaving room for the wrath of God. In other words, we can leave it in God's hands. We don't have to respond wrongly. We can make the effort to uh, bring peace. And I think what he's calling on here is for us to trust in the sovereign hand of God, and you might include the just and sovereign hand of God. God knows. uh, He's omniscient. He's sovereign. He has a plan. In fact, he has us in this situation, perhaps for this particular occasion, for this particular individual. And I think that's part of what he has here. And uh, he quotes a passage out of, uh, what is it, Deuteronomy 32, 35. And part of the passage says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And this is a quote of God himself, vengeance is mine. Now, the word vengeance, sometimes I think in our culture, we've got it a little bit I don't know what's the word, probably not properly understood. And in this context, we relate it to revenge. But I think there's a distinction, even though the word uh, revenge and vengeance is the same word. One's the noun and one's the uh, verb. Taking revenge is the verb and vengeance is the, the noun form of the same word. I think it has it's related to justice in the Old Testament and I think also here and other usages in the New Testament, it's related to effecting justice. It's not that God is revengeful in the sense that, oh, I'm going to get them, but God is the one that effects justice, what we were talking about earlier. God is the one that brings about justice. That's what the word vengeance actually means. Right. Justice, you could include there, is mine, and God is the one that affects justice. Connie? Isn't that part of the idea of the kinsman redeemer? Expand what you're saying. Well, the kinsman redeemer would make sure that the family member or whoever was treated justly. Okay, part of the, part of the role. Yeah, I think that'd be a, that's a good relationship there. That reminded me, you remember... In the Old Testament, there were, there were cities of refuge, 
so that in a fiery situation, the natural tendency amongst the Jewish people was to take out their own vengeance. In other words, effect their own justice. And Deuteronomy tells us that uh, God is the one that we trust and leave it to him, especially in an emotional situation. So let him effect it. Now, if we had more time, I was going to, and maybe this is the Lord saying, because uh, it was it's an interesting situation that I was going to share an experience that I had where I had to go through the same process here. But for the sake of time, let's just move on. Maybe next week, if we get back into the passage here, we're getting close to the end here. Let me kind of summarize what we have. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And then the passage goes on. In fact, I've got other verses here in terms of God bringing justice and wrath. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land desolate, and he will terminate its sinners from it. In other words, there's an ultimate effecting of justice described here as fury, as burning anger, even cruel. Then the first Thessalonians 1.10, to wait for his son from heaven. This is ultimate. This is eventual. Whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescued us from the wrath to come. And then a parallel passage to what we have here. I won't read it. Let me just summarize what we have here and we'll conclude for today and then pick up here next time. So not only do we attempt resolution, but in the midst of this, we can trust in a sovereign and a just God. We may have to endure injustice, knowing that there is that future and ultimate justice God may not intervene on our behalf at that moment. In fact, every martyr experiences the injustice of martyrdom and doesn't have the immediate resolution. And they go to be with the Lord, but they go trusting that God, in fact, will effect that justice ultimately. But he may work in the midst. And I think there are things that we can do The passage goes on and quotes other passages, Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. This is attempting resolution. In other words, doing good rather than evil. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. So we're reminded of what God has in his word in terms of how we respond. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. An interesting image there that we need to expand. We'll come back to it, and I'll expand upon it later uh, next week. So we're reminded of what God's Word teaches us. Number nine, we actually do acts of goodness. This is part of the resolution. And if we have an occasion, do acts of goodness. And like Nate suggested, even in a court of law, we could plead for leniency if the Lord leads and the occasion calls upon it, but certainly forgiveness. But there's lots of things we can do. In fact, the Proverbs passage gives very specific examples of what we can do. So there's acts of uh, forgiveness. And then we have do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our last verse here, 
we persist in good acts rather than revenge. So that's your 10 items there. Uh, we'll come back and look at some of these later ones in more detail next time. And this brings us to our closing slide here that we want to emphasize that it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to live the impossible Christian life, and particularly situations like the one that we have been describing here. So that's our study for, for today, towards the end of uh, February. Well, uh, let's go into a time of prayer. And before we do that, I asked Joe if she would introduce herself. Is she still with us? She may have to leave. Why don't you give us a quick introduction and leave a prayer need, and then we'll review our, we'll pray for Sharon. We'll have Sharon share as well. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, well, um, I'll make it real quick. Um, I've been a Christian more than half my life now, but I became a believer during my freshman year of college. Um, my claim to fame or my disclaim to fame is I'm Ray's sister. So you can take that however way you want. He thinks that he raised me. So I blame him for all the things that are wrong, all the things that, uh, that uh, have posed a problem in my life because he didn't raise me right. And I take so, credit for all the good things. Ah. <laughs> So anyway, um, many of you may know that uh, uh, we are from a broken family, dysfunctional family, and uh, our our dad uh, was an alcoholic, and he left us uh, when we were quite young, at least when I was quite young, and our younger brother was even younger. But anyway, um, uh, that brokenness uh, in me. Uh, brought emptiness and insecurity uh, that uh, that could not be resolved. I went to college my freshman year, and a lot of those insecurities and uh, dysfunction came uh, became prominent. So anyway, um, I was asking questions like, um, what is the meaning of life and why am I here? Um, what is greatness? Uh, how do people become great? Things like that. And so anyway, that was when um, I came across a couple of people that, that asked one, one gal, uh, came to my dorm room, my very first uh, freshman term, and she was a grad student, and she came uh, and she just said, do you mind if I um, uh, come and spend some time with you? And, um, and I thought, what? Uh, what do you have to do with me, you know? And I kind of surmised that the reason that she wanted to spend time with me was because she wanted to uh, develop a friendship with Ray and that maybe she thought I could help. Well, she probably found out very quickly that 
that wasn't going to work. But anyway, long and short of it is I told her, uh, don't you have anything better to do with your time? <laughs> so anyway, uh, she came and shared uh, the four spiritual law book that Campus Crusade for Christ put out at that time. And uh, she went and, um, and she asked me before she did that, uh, a very profound question that I don't think she realized that it was the right question that the Holy Spirit wanted her to ask me. But she asked me, uh, when did you become a Christian? And the that question, I, I have some sort of analytical thinking. And that question raised the issue in my mind, when? That means that at some point, something had to change. And there had to be an incidence in life that brought about a change. In other words, uh, I wasn't a Christian at one point. Something happened, and then I became a Christian. And uh, from a Catholic standpoint, which is what our background is, I thought that, uh, you know, and this was my answer to her. I said, well, I've always been a Christian. I was born a Christian because I was born Catholic. And the Catholics uh, used to teach, at least back then, once a Catholic, always a Catholic. And and so anyway, um, so she went away. And the next week she came. And um, during the interim, the Holy Spirit haunted me with that question because I kept thinking, when, when, when something had to happen and what was that that happened? So when she came the next week and asked me the same question, I basically just told her, you know, you asked me that last time and maybe I didn't be the right answer or maybe I don't know what a Christian is. So would you explain? And so that's when she went through the booklet and explained in, in specific detail that that faith and righteousness are from Christ alone and that by believing that Jesus is the son of God and that he was sinless and he was the one that died for my sin and that through him I could have forgiveness and a right relationship with God. And as a result of that, the emptiness, the brokenness, the insecurities that I had before through a you know, a little bit of uh, more interaction with Christians at that time, that became very clear to me. And uh, those insecurities left. And um, so anyway, I've never regretted that decision. I think I've been growing in faith since then. Um, and currently I uh, teach fifth and sixth graders at my church and been doing that for five years now. And uh, I'm also uh, discipling a couple of, um, of people from afar. One, one gal is in Malaysia, another one is in Illinois. And I do that um, electronically through the phone, through electronic media. So anyway, that's um, me in a nutshell. Thank you. Okay, she likes to sneak in and sneak out, but I told her she was going to have to introduce herself. So, thanks. Mm -hmm. Thanks, well, Geneva. 
Connie, uh, we have uh, Sharon up, right? Correct. Well, we need to pray. So why don't you all offer these things up? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your care uh, of the Benkies, um, your provision for them um, and others like them in this situation. Father, we pray for your continued grace and mercy on uh, people in this situation, Lord. Um, we thank you that this does not take you by surprise. We thank you that the Benkies' kids were able to show them how to accept with joy even the hard times um, and have some fun with it. Father, help us to better respond when interruptions to our lives like this come upon us. Um, Lord, you are so full of grace um, and we are learning how to uh, possible it is to live the Christian life apart from that grace that you give us. And I, I pray that you would continue to uh, infuse uh, Mike and Katie with your grace. Uh, they would be able to see where they can help out um, and just shine your light in their community of Maybank. And Father, for Sharon, um, we pray for her memory. Uh, we pray that you would <laughs> restore what the locusts have eaten. Uh, the older we get, the less hooks we have in our brain for things to hang on to. So um, I pray that you would run defrag on her brain so mm. that she could mm. uh, more readily remember things. We thank you that her fingers are doing better. I pray that you would uh, help her to understand and implement this dictation application within pages. Um, we praise you for uh, the fact that Karen will be able to help her out more. We pray for her housekeeper's pregnancy, that that would go smoothly and that all would be healthy and that her passport renewal <coughs> would also go smoothly. Um, thank you for Alicia and Herman and the other lady whose name begins with a B, that they would all continue to study your word and grow in you. 